The Old Testament reading for today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle lesson for today is first from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but you've Faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true 
and teach the way of God truthfully, and that you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we gather today and as we have for the last good while, we have been doing so, understanding that there is a war in this world, right? And not just one, but many wars going on. There's a culture war. There's certainly a political war going on. There are also actual physical battles uh, over in Ukraine, now in the Holy Land as well. And as such, it seems like, well, nothing is secure anymore. It seems as if the earth has been shaken and that there is no shelter for us. But it's not the first time that God's people have felt that way. Not the first time when their earth, their world has come crashing down among them. The prophet Isaiah showed forth a dismal day that was ahead. Yes, it would be more than a century after his lifetime, but it would deeply affect the people of Israel. You see, Judah would be carried off to captivity in Babylon, the city of Jerusalem. The eternal city would be raised to the ground, and it would be seeming as if it was the end of time for God's people as a nation. You see, countries simply don't rise again from that kind of death. And worst of all, for the people of Israel, their line of kings, successors from David, from which the Lord's Messiah was to come, would be cut off. Seems impossible. It seems like the sadness and grief of that day would cut so deeply into God's people that they might change their ways and God might relent. It would seem that that would work, but yet people would be people. Sin would rise in people's hearts. They would seek their help from other places. Instead of asking, where does my help come from? they would say, I can do it myself. Or we can do it ourselves. So often it is that we seek saving 
and help from places that are not God. That was the case for the people of Israel. That was also the case for you and I today. Sometimes we hope that, well, you know, golly gee, if if Congress could just get their act together, life would be good again. Or perhaps it is, if we could just manage a ceasefire, maybe things would be back to peaceful again. You see, Isaiah, while he certainly proclaimed the darkness to come, also saw hope. Against all odds, Judah would come home. Jerusalem would be rebuilt and the temple there reconstructed. And somehow God would continue the lineage of the King David line so that a Messiah, a Savior would come. But you see, the remarkable thing in our Isaiah text is that he sees that the Lord would accomplish this through somebody else besides the Messiah. That God was gonna raise up somebody else, use somebody else who would do these amazing things who didn't even believe in the true God. He was gonna raise up Cyrus, this other person, this enemy of God's people, and use him to bring God's people home and rebuild their city, rebuild their temple, even though he did not believe. Isn't it amazing that our God can use even the unbelievers for his purposes? Think about it. God used Caesar in the time of Jesus for his purposes. God used the the temple folks, the Pharisees and the Sadducees to get the verdict against Jesus. But here in Isaiah, we have an enemy, an unbeliever, who is to bring about the restoration of God's people. So imagine now this whole world in which we dwell, that there are people who choose their gods, okay? I mean, we see that in our society. All kinds of religions are represented I mean, our calendars get filled with all these dates of holidays that we don't even know what they are. And people combine even some of these religions into a new thing. But the less obvious part of that is how people choose whom or what to trust with their lives. Now, you and I, we might think, well, you know, If I sit close to a doctor or medical professional here in church, they'll take care of me, right, if I have a crisis, okay? And that certainly might be true for your physical needs, 
but that doesn't do anything for your soul. And who are you putting your trust in? The one who can save the body or the one who can save all things? Well, as we know, people around us choose that which they are going to trust in. Luther, in his large catechism, says, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in in all distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing him with your heart. But you see, so many of our made-up gods are no help when it counts. They're powerless against the military, against the developments in society in the prophet's day. They leave us powerless against the developments around us. I mean, after all, there is such a thing as eminent domain, right, given to our government. And so, who is our God? Who is the one who can help us? Well, there is one. One who God calls to be his own child who is the only begotten Son of God. Now, this Messiah, this Savior, we know his name is Jesus. But in Isaiah's prophecy, he actually is choosing a Savior with a little s and a Messiah with a little m to bring the people of Israel back to himself. See, God is pointing how he is going to handle things in the future through David's line while now acting outside of it through an unbelieving king and ruler to bring his people back. It's not all that strange. Did that not happen in the time of the people of Israel in Egypt? under the foreign authority of the Pharaoh. And God used the Pharaoh to release his people. Of course, God had to act mightily, right? Ten different times, right? As we had the plagues that, that drove the Egyptians crazy. Well, uh, we know that Isaiah pointed to Cyrus even before Cyrus had been born. Named him as one who didn't believe in him, but who would bring his people back. Isn't that amazing that God knows people and what position they're gonna have in life even before they're born? Even a generation or two before? Does that not tell us that God's got a big picture going on? Doesn't that tell us that God's all in the details and in the big picture? He sees the trees and the forest together and he's in every moment of our lives. Cyrus, scripture goes out to point, does not know God. In fact, he worshiped all sorts of deities. But he doesn't realize that all his power actually comes from the Lord. And the Lord reveals to Cyrus that he's responsible to God 
that God names him, which shows forth that God is first. And Cyrus's life comes from him. Is that any different than you and I? After all, he names us, right? He calls us by name. He brings us to faith. And as we said in our memory verse, we didn't come to faith by choosing, but rather God claimed us as his own. For it was by grace you were saved, not by works. This Savior Cyrus is a purview, really, of the coming anointed Christ, like a low-resolution photograph on your screen. His origin's unimpressive. His rise to power surpasses all expectations. And his idea that everyone should choose his own gods is a pagan doctrine. But yet, one that the people grasp. Now look at our Savior Jesus, this true God Christ, who is alone the Savior of men. He's even less impressive than Cyprus. And Cyrus, rather. A God in human nature doesn't seem all that impressive. After all, he was born not into a royal family, but a poor family, right? He grew up in a negligible throwaway town. He had no formal education, no diplomas on his cave wall. Okay. And in the end, he was seemingly deprived of all power, condemned to death by two separate courts. But yet, this Savior, with a capital S, notice I'm into little S's and capital S's, little M's and big M's, the capital S, the capital M, Savior and Messiah, is the one who wins the victory once and for all for you and I in this world. By his action, the whole world and that ruler, the devil who rules over it, is disarmed. The tomb of death and the gates of hell break open and are shattered. And people know and will know that there is none besides him. You see, our God, the real, only true God is the one who looks after his people. He's there for us. He provides for us. And he is the one that we praise and proclaim and go to in our times of struggle, in our times of dis, dis, uh, just all the times when our lives tremble, when we're seeking support and security, where's the only place? Jesus. He's the only one we know of that can calm our lives. After all, with a word, he can calm the storms, make the waves no longer rise. You see, our God is the one who knows all things, who has paid the price for all our sinfulness 
so that we can be gathered together as his people. So you and I, we have a Savior and Messiah who will bring us home, even against all odds. He is the one who will be with us in the night. He is the one who will be with us through the day. He's the one who will be there when we're young and foolish, and even when we're old and foolish. He is the one who is always there for us. So may you and I believe in this one true God who has shown himself as the one who has the whole world in his hands, who is holy above all holiness, the one who is the Lord your God who saves you. He gives us reason to trust in him over all worldly opposition and to believe that he will indeed bring us to that Jerusalem of new. That new Jerusalem, new creation. And that there is no one but him. Quite a bit of hope there, isn't there? In the midst of a sad story. But yet, when you know the ending, it makes all the difference. And you and I, let's not be sad anymore. Okay, let us not be unsettled. But let us find joy in knowing the end of the story. That God will indeed take us home. And that we will dwell with him forever. After all, isn't it Psalm 23 that kind of helps us with that, right? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May you and I remember that when things get scary, when Israel gets bombed, when Russia flexes its arms, when politicians can't decide. May you and I trust in the God who always is there for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.